Good morning. Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're continuing in our character studies, the people of the New Testament. And we last time I, I spoke, I mentioned this uh, character, and now we're going to concentrate on her. Her name's Mary. Mary, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we're going to be reading through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she, but she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth, has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And later, Elizabeth's presence, we read in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul exalts, the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us this morning. Mary, she was a great woman, but she was a sinner. So we see here that the Lord is her Savior as well as He is our Savior if we know Him personally. There's one word I want to cue in on here, and many of you might have guessed it. It's the word bond slave. Because we're going to talk about the character of Mary, and I want to focus in on that word bond slave. And we want to explore just what, what was a bond slave? What was the idea of a bond slave? What's the history of a bond slave? And who... Um, like Mary, would claim that name for themselves. I hope, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would say, you're a bond slave this morning. Mary, uh, first of all, I want to say something about this word, uh, bond slave. In the Greek, it's doulos. Um, feminine form is doule. I, I don't know Greek very well. I trust I'm doing it justice as far as the pronunciation. Um, doulos, we find it many places in the New Testament. And so we want to look in the New Testament, and I like to 
point out that she was not alone in adopting that title to herself. Um, if you remember a man by the name of Simeon, in Luke chapter 2 it speaks of a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So here is a man waiting for the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, to come on the scene, and it had been revealed to him that he wouldn't die before that day would come. So he was anxiously waiting. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry up for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and said, uh, and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon called himself a bondservant of the Lord. Also, we find in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bondslave of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Epaphras is known as a bondslave of Jesus Christ. Peter, the apostle Peter, it says in Peter, 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Peter was known and called a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul, a bondservant of Christ, called as an apostle set apart, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. John the apostle in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place and he sent and communicated it, uh, communicated by his angel to his bondservant, John. So John himself calls himself a bondservant. Also Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Tychicus, if that's how you pronounce it, uh, is called a fellow bondservant in the Lord. And of course Moses is mentioned in Revelation 15.3, the bondservant of God. But most of all at the pinnacle... At the point at the head, we see the Lord Jesus Christ was known as a bondservant. The Lord Jesus Christ is found in the form of a bondservant we find in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And he instructs us to have this attitude which Jesus had in him. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality of God or equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Bondservant. The one who created us was a bondservant. And these men of faith were known as bondservants. And Mary called herself a bondservant. So I'm wondering, can we call ourselves bondservants today?
bondservants. Well, we really have to know what a bondservant is to be able to say that with our whole heart. But we should know before that that God commands us to be known as bondservants, to act as bondservants. We find in Romans chapter 12, 10 and 11, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That word serving is a verb form of the word or the noun doulos, serving the Lord. Romans 6, 22 and 23. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, a bondservant to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the idea of being a servant doesn't appeal to many people because it's a humble position. It's one of dependence. It's one of submission. And yet that was the same position that the Lord Jesus Christ took on himself. A bondservant, a lowly one, a humble one when he came to earth. And one thing we don't realize is that we're all servants. I don't care if you know the Lord or you don't know the Lord. We're all slaves to something. Either we're slaves to the world or we're servants and slaves of God. You can't be one or the other. I mean, it's either one or the other. And people that don't know the Lord don't realize oftentimes that they are slaves perhaps to their own passions, their own desires, perhaps their own fears, to the mold that the world would squeeze you into, to concerns for the future and a worldly way of making provision for that future, of the worldly standard that you don't quite feel right until you make it there and you never make it there, thus making you a slave to that standard. And Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to free us from slavery to ourselves, slavery to the world, really slavery to Satan, so that we might be born servants of God. And there's a great benefit there. Eternal life. Eternal life. We want to look at that more closely. You know, one has to recognize that when we're talking about who it is that calls us to be born slaves, it's God, our Creator. There's only one proper response, isn't there? If God created us, and he made us for himself, and I like this part, because he gave us a heart that derives joy from a solid relationship with him, grounded on what he's grounded it on, coming to God God's way, enjoying the pleasures that he has, being right with God, not seeking to enjoy the pleasures of life, being estranged from God. There's never full joy in that. And he's, so he's made us with that heart that really longs to be his bondservant. And as we go a little bit deeper into what a bondservant is, I think you'll be able to understand how really deep down inside every human longs for that. And we should even long for that even more, those that, us, that, that know him. A proper response. We see that in Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 11. Um, the occasion for this, well, let's just read the verse. But which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat? 
and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. And that helps me to, it puts me in my place because the scripture says, and I believe, that I deserve the wrath of God because I'm a sinner. And that's defined by God. And it's evaluated and appraised by God. And that's his appraisal. And that's how I had to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in coming to him, I found one that loved me so much, he sent his son to die for me. That he could forgive me for my sins. As a free gift. In a just way. And he offered me eternal life. He offered me the opportunity to be a bond slave. And praise be to God that he opened my eyes to the importance of that decision. And so I say, no matter what God calls me to do, it's only what I should do. I'm an unprofitable servant. I haven't brought profit to God. On the contrary, I've profited greatly from my relationship with God. I have forgiveness of my sins. Anything he calls and asks me to do is only proper. It's only proper. And the only way I, time I disagree with that is when I'm in sin and I have a bad attitude and I'm complaining and I'm groaning and mumbling. <laughs> That's not the place of a servant. And we're going to see why it's not a place of a servant other than what we can see plainly. The place of a servant should be to serve his master. This isn't just... Um, an ordinary relationship when we think of a servant or a slave. This is a special relationship because a bond servant is a trusted and privileged servant and we're going to see why. We can see just as a, a reminder in Matthew chapter 25, 14 through 30, you remember the, pal- the parable of the talents? Um, when you see the word servant in that parable, you're talking about the same word, doulos. Um, these were servants, bond servants. And you notice that the master traded, uh, trusted a great deal of money into the hands of these bondservants to do business with this while I'm gone. You see, you wouldn't give it any old hired hand that kind of money. You wouldn't give a slave that kind of money, but a bondservant you would entrust and had the privilege to not only be entrusted with that, but to be rewarded upon the faithful management of those funds. And so it's a place of privilege and a place where you're trusted to be in a bondservant. It's a special place. It's different than what the world thinks when the world thinks of a servant. Very different. The Lord points that out in Matthew 20. 20 through 28. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons bowing down and making a request of the Lord Jesus. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom... These two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. And he said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit down on my right and my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two. 
But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. That's, it's just backwards from the world, isn't it? The world doesn't look at it that way. They're great men, exercise authority. They're bosses. They're governors. They're presidents, senators, world leaders, great men in the world, in world history. That's how the world views greatness. But God views it upside down from what the world views it. The great men among you shall be as servants. The first word there is diakonos, shall be your servant. The second word is doulos, bond slave. Okay? Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your bond slave. Okay? Bond slave, bond slave. So, bond slave, if greatness is being a servant, then don't you want to be all about that? I do. And I have to confess, and this is a sincere confession, that I have failed many times in my life. I can see up till yesterday, even this morning, failed to be the servant that I should. Failed to be the servant that God's called me to be. And I'm ashamed of it. But I don't want to shy away from the high calling. Because to be a servant is to be great in the eyes of God. And we as Christians need to see through the eyes of God. If we are indeed to be not only great, but greatly used by him while we're here for this short time. I love the whole imagery of bond servant, of being a bond servant or a bond slave. We find it in Exodus. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. Starting at verse 2. Now, we can start in verse 1. Now, these things are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew, Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. So there might be reasons why a person would sell themselves um, to be a slave. As a Hebrew, a person might be in debt and might need to pay off that debt and he doesn't have a way or means to pay it off. He might sell himself to another Hebrew as a slave and God had this special care for them for six years he shall serve but the seventh he's going free okay so it was a limited engagement we're going to fulfill we're going to fill out this idea of, of, of bond slave later we're going to read in Deuteronomy but let's finish here if he comes alone he shall go out alone if he is the husband of a wife then his wife shall go out with him if his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters. The wife and her children shall belong to her master. And he shall go out alone. But if, he, uh, the, if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door, of the, uh, the door or the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall serve him permanently. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 15 and read the completion of it because there's some added things there. 
Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 18, we read in 12, If your kinsman, a Hebrew, man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years, but in the seventh year you shall set him free. And when you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this day, and it shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household, since he fares well with you. Then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ears into the door, into, through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. And also you shall do likewise to your maidservant. It shall not seem hard to you when you set him free, for he has given you six years with double the service of a hired man. So the Lord your God will bless you in whatever you do. And it was tradition, tradition has it, that in the place of the piercing of the ear, there would be a ring inserted in the ear. And that ring would be on display for any to see wherever the slave would go. And so we want to think about that. I did pierce my ear. It's a real ear pierced ear. Um, and I did it as an object lesson, an illustration of what we should be in our hearts with God. Bond servants, pierced because we love our master and we will not depart. I love this imagery here. And, and I, want to, I want to concentrate it. What did that piercing of the ear signify? What did it mean? Because it's an imagery that's important. What did it mean to the slave, to the servant? Um, when you think of a slave that has worked for six years, a bond servant, now he can be set free. And he's not going out empty-handed. He's going out uh, quite well-to-do. When you think of the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt, how did they come out of Egypt? The Lord said, ask your neighbors for gold and silver. And they did. And they just gave it to them. Please, here, go. And they went out rich. And so a servant would be released from his master with funds, with sufficient means to start up on his own. And so one would ask, why in the world would this servant turn around and give that up? Now, if you're like me, and you think of alternate uh, uh, decisions here, I would think, well, hmm, I did pretty good on this one. Why don't I just sign up for another six? Right? doesn't say I have to give up what he gave me. And at the end of six years, I'll get that option. Right? It's my way out. Things turn bad in the next six, I can get out. But he didn't do that. This servant said, no. I love my master. And I have a good life. He takes care of me. He treats me well. This is not a bad life. If you survey the horizon and look at other people's lots in life, I count myself blessed. And so more than anything else, I believe that ring in the ear of that servant signified in the biggest way it was a commentary on the character of the master. Wow. That slave must have some master for that slave to become a bondservant. Because it's for life. There's no turning back. 
You see, once he did that, it was for life. It was permanent. It was forever until he died. And so it was a commentary on the master. Wow, that must be some master. You see, so there was a commitment, not only on the part of the servant to serve forever, but really the master was taking that bondservant on permanently. He was taking responsibility for him. He was going to care for him. And sure, there were things that the servant would have to do. But you know what? You In life, you can't get away from work. I don't care who you are. You can't get away from some form of work. And so why not work for someone like this master? He loved his master. And his master furnished for him everything that he needed, even so much as a wife in due time, even so much as children. And so in a very real sense, this slave became a part of the family of the master. You see? And he loved that family. He loved to be a part of it. You know, and I, and I like these old-fashioned shows. I don't know if you remember Family Affair. Remember Mr. French? He was sort of the butler, in a sense. I don't know what you call him anywhere. Uh, anyway, Man, Man Friday, they used to call him back in England. But he became part of the family. And there was a special, uh, a special something about him being part of that family. And he was treated that way. Even though his rightful place was a servant. The children respected him. And he was, tri- he was dealt with respect. And I think of these servants, you know. And you know, this is a direct picture of the Christian in the Christian life. That's what I love so much about it. You know, um, when we talk about accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, when we talk about becoming born again, too often times this aspect of being a Christian isn't rightfully communicated. I know I've been negligent in the past. But I want to tell you, um, I'm not a Christian to escape hell. I'm not. You know, that did get my attention at the beginning, believe me. But since becoming a Christian and coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ and getting to know Him more and more, I can say with my heart, and I'm sure if you know Him, you can, I love my Master. And I don't want to go out. And if you need a little illustration for eternal security, you have it right here. Because <laughs> the servant was a bond servant forever once he had his ear pierced. And so, maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're just serving your own interests, your own fears, your own concerns. But when the Lord Jesus Christ holds out his hands and offers eternal life, he's a good master. He's a kind master. He's a generous master. He's a loving master. And he knows how to treat you right. And he wants to commit himself forever to you. But he won't do it against your will. Just like that servant, that slave had the option. He can go out and receive his pay and be out on his own. Or he can choose to decide, no, I want to get my ear pierced. I want to be a bond servant of my master because I love him. And I love his household. I love his family. And that's another thing, too, is when a person comes to know the Lord. I I don't understand people that say they are Christians and yet they never go to church. And I'm not legalistic at all, but I'll tell you one thing. More than anybody else on the face of the earth, I love God's people. I I don't want to be found elsewhere. It's God's household, and I love it. I love being a part of it. And I love the patience that the saints show toward me. Thank you very much.
And so people say, I don't want to become a Christian because you've got to go to church every Sunday. I don't have to go to church every Sunday. I want to go to church on Sundays. I want to go to meeting. I want to be with the saints. And the first thing I remember as a new Christian is I go to meeting with the saints, with the church, and I, I talk to people that like to talk about God. And we learn more about God. And that's exciting because I, was, I, I see God in my life. They see God in their lives. And so, wow. What better place to be? It's exciting. And so the, the, the servant loved the master, loved his household, and he wanted to be part of it forever. And you can sense that attitude in someone that doesn't know the Lord. They're just not there. They don't know the joy of the master, the joy of living in the family of God. Okay, so I think more than anything else, it's a commentary on the master. What, do, what, do, what does the slave think? Um, what does the ear piercing signify? What do people think? What does it signify to people? Okay, so they see a slave walking by. And there's a little kid there, and Dad, that slave's got a, a ring in his ear. What's that mean? Well, that means he's a bond servant. So what do, people, what do people think when they see a slave with ear pierced in the Old Testament? Well, um, they might think, well, I don't know. I don't think he's too smart. He's not really a thinking man. Why not? Well, if he was a thinking man, he would have kept the goods and signed up for another six, and he would have been that much richer at the end of the next six. So, I mean... When we think of this, think of what people's attitudes and concepts are of Christians. Well, that's not very smart. Some people think we're not very smart. <laughs> you know? Um, I beg to differ. It's not a question of smart. It's a question of the master being worthy to serve and wanting to be in his household. Nobody's smarter than our master. <laughs> you know? And so to be at his side, you're being the smartest you possibly can. Um, some people might think, well, that's extreme. You know, there's a lot of slaves out there that aren't wearing that ring. He must be a, an extremist, you know? And that's what some people think of Christians. Oh, no, there's an extremist, you know? Um, there's a Bible thumper. There's one of those fundamentals, you know, fundamentalists. Um, they think we're extreme because we love the Lord. I don't think that's extreme. I think that's normal. But that's what people think. They think that's strange. You know what? I think he signed up with that master because he really can't handle it on his own. He's weak. He needs a crutch. Can't make his own decisions. He's got to have somebody else guide him. You know that's what people think of Christians. Did you know that? Is it true? No, it's not true. It's not true. But that's what people think. Those are the barriers. Okay? So that's what people think. A Christian is. And perhaps you're here and you don't know the Lord. And you've considered, nah, I don't want to be, I don't want to go all the way. I'll go to church, you know. I'll even use some Christian phrases. You'd be surprised. We had a guy, he died at work a week and a half ago. Second guy in charge. I was in his office the day before. It seemed like nothing was wrong. Guy woke up dead. And, uh, That, well, he died in sleep. <laughs> so, you know, and there, there's a guest book online that you could sign. And, you know, I don't know what it is, but the guest slides made public. The guest book's made public for everybody to read. And I'm thinking, if I write something, I'm not writing it to publicate to everybody. I want to write it to the family, right? But no, it's got to be publicated. And so um, I see people using Christian words that I know aren't Christian. Our prayers are with you. If you knew this person, you would say, well, wow, where'd that come from? You know, we're praying for you. I'm thinking, 
Uh, good thing they can't see a face with these, you know, words. So there are people that want to take on some of the trappings of Christianity. Oh, we're a Christian country. I believe in God. But that earring, uh-uh, that's too, total commitment, no, 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 no. That's extreme. You know, can't we just sort of fit in? That's not being a bondservant. Being a bondservant is saying, I love my master. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful for what he's done for me. And not only do I want to, but he deserves my service. You know, the funny thing about it is you can look at it two ways. You can look at it, oh, I got to serve, or you gotta look, can look at it, I get to serve. Because those that know the Lord Jesus Christ know that in serving, there's joy. There's real, true joy. We're taking our proper place before the Lord, and he gives us joy in serving him. That's a marvelous thing. So I, I don't think we're getting the short end of the stick here. I don't think it's extreme. Um, but you can't, you can't go halfway. You either got that ring, your ear pierced or not. You know, and people say, did you really do that? Did it really go through your ear? Yeah, it really went through my ear. The guy stuck the thing right through, and I could feel it go through one end of the skin, out the other. Yeah. And that's the same thing with being a Christian. You either are have the earring or you don't. You either are a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ or you're not. You're just a normal slave. So you have to decide. Do you want Jesus to be your master? Do you want him to care for you? Not only for the rest of your life, but for the rest of eternity. It's wonderful imagery and I love it. To God. What does it mean to God? What does it mean to God? When he looks into your heart, see, because God doesn't look on the outside. You can see this ring, it's coming out tomorrow, right? It won't be there, the hole will heal up. But God can look on the inside of your heart and he can see if that ear's pierced. He could see if there's a heart that's a bondservant to him. And that's, that's very precious. That's precious. And that's what God's in the business of doing. Offering eternal life to people. Offering them the seventh year. You know, to, to, to say, I love my master and uh, I want to stay with him forever. Where are you? Where are you? Is your ear pierced in your heart? Have you gone up to the doorpost with God and say, pierce my ear, Lord. I want to belong to you. I love your family. I love you. I want to serve you. I'm tired of serving myself. It's futile. It's empty. And I'm never really happy. The Lord says, come, come to the door. And what I want to do is I want to close with this. Uh, it's just some words of a song and then some penetrating questions I'd like to ask for myself. And if you know the Lord, perhaps you'd like to uh, entertain those questions in your mind. Speaking of him who loved his master, rather than taking advantage of this, his opportunity to become free, he chose to remain a slave in his master's house. He believed his master loved him, and he loved his master. His choice to remain a slave in his, of his master was a, lo- a lifelong decision from which he could never turn back. To signify his decision, he would go down to town, place his ear next to a doorpost, and have his ear pierced by an awl. The scene is captured in a beautiful song of devotion to Jesus. And here are some of the words. Pierce my ear, O Lord my God. 
Take me to your door this day. I will serve no other gods. Lord, I'm here to stay. For you have paid the price for me. With your blood, you ransomed me. I will serve you eternally. A free man I'll never be. After all he's done for us. That's a proper response. Um, I, I wonder, too, you know, uh, what people go through when they wear an earring. Because I, I put this on and I'm watching everybody's reaction as I walk in and I talk to people. And I sometimes wonder if we're conscious about our Christianity. If we wear our Christianity as a badge that's plain to see by those around us because we speak often and freely of the master that we love? Or is it something we take off, put it in our pocket, and hope nobody will give us a bad time about? It says in Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that's how we ought to live, like we love the master, and we're proud to proclaim it. And if I was a slave in that time and I had a master worthy of dedicating my life to, I would wear that earring boldly. And I'd even walk around like that so people could see it. Because my master was a great master. And we have an even graver, greater master. So I'd like to just ask some few questions. No need to answer. And then we'll close with, I think we're doing what, 533? Okay, have I given myself over to fulfill the will of another, that of Jesus Christ? That's a daily responsibility. Have I taken time to consider what really matters to Jesus? And what isn't all that important or and what isn't all that important to him? Have I adjusted my values accordingly? Do I relate to Jesus as my authority, my king? And as a result, do I see him or do I see it as my obligation to obey him? A lot of people call Jesus Lord and they don't see it as an obligation to obey him. I confess I haven't always obeyed him. And in, in some respects, if not great respects, I'm a hypocrite at those times in my life. That's what it means. Jesus is Lord. He's worthy to be obeyed. Do I show myself to be a bondservant of Jesus by demonstrating humility toward and genuine concern for others? Lord Jesus loves people. He loves souls. And so how we treat others is oftentimes a direct reflection of how well we're serving our Master. When it comes to pleasing others, other people, or pleasing Jesus, do my actions prove that I'm a bondservant of Jesus or of men? Just food for thought. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess you are a wonderful Master. And we love you because you first loved us. And we're so grateful that you've given us the opportunity to be called your bondservants. We think of the great men that have gone before us, saints, apostles, the Lord Jesus Christ, you yourself, Lord, were known, you were known as a bondservant. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live a life that's pleasing to you as your bondservants. And if there's anyone here Lord, that doesn't know you, that hasn't committed themselves to you in that way. We pray that our lives might accurately represent 
to the joy of knowing you. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.